Hey, did you just have a meeting with a donor and they told you something really, really important and you have no place to put it except for like maybe an Excel spreadsheet or, I don't know, a random piece of paper in your office? Go to DonorDoc.com. Get a CRM system that works. Get a donor database system that works. Get something that gives you beautiful reports and beautiful dashboards that even your crankiest board member will love. Go to DonorDoc.com. Use the code word "Do Good Better" at checkout and get a month free. DonorDoc.com. Your organization is awesome, but sometimes you want to be even awesomer. It's time to get your fundraising on with your host, fundraising expert and author Patrick Kirby. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast. I'm your co-host, Abby Birchner, and I have royalty in the house with me today. I have Ashley Ray, who is Mrs. International 2020. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Abby, for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to talk about this. I want to know all the steps to your journey when it came to becoming Mrs. International 2020. Take us back to the beginning of your pageant phase. Is this something that you've always wanted to do? Did you grow up doing it? Did you just start getting into it? Let us know. Yeah, so I had never done pageants before, and a gal named Meg Forty um, out of Fargo, she had reached out to me back in 2015. So she had seen an article that I had um, had written about me, a, an award that I had received in Grand Forks, and they're always looking for women and young ladies who want to compete in the international pageant system. So they're young ladies, they're women in our communities who have a cause or a platform, an organization that they represent that they want to make a difference through, and they're wanting them to compete in this pageant. And so they, she had reached out to me and she said, have you ever considered competing in pageants? Would you ever do this? And I said, nope, thank you, <laughs> but no thank you. <laughs> um, it was something I had never done. I had never thought of myself as a quote unquote pageant girl, right? I think a lot of us have a lot of misconceptions of what pageants are all about and the type of women and young ladies that compete in them. And so at first, originally, I politely declined. And then I took a few days and I did a little bit of research on the international pageant system and who they are and what they stand for, what they're all about. And I fell in love with them and their mission. Their mission is to make a difference to make a difference, which aligns with my mission and everything that I was trying to do in my life at that time. And so I thought, you know, I preach every day to people that life is about abilities and opportunities. And I have the ability, here's an opportunity to lead by example for women and for young ladies that I coach through my business to make a difference through a nonprofit that I had at that time called the Copewell Foundation for Cancer Survivors based off my cancer journey. And you know what, if it's just a way to connect with other women from around the state, awesome, right? So I decided to do it. So that was in November of 2015. I had two months to prepare for my first ever pageant ever. So I competed for Mrs. North Dakota International in 2016, January of 2016, my first ever pageant, and I won. I went to to nationals in Jacksonville, Florida that year, placed in the top 15. I was awarded then a regional title. So once you've been a state title holder, you can be a regional title holder representing multiple states. So I went back in 2017 as Mrs. Midwest, placed in the top 15 again in Charleston, West Virginia, um, was awarded another title. And I politely declined at that time just because my husband and I were adopting our son, Micah, and I knew I needed time at home. And we'll talk more about that. So I took a couple years off 
And then last year, it was July, I was watching the pageant online and I just knew this was my time to go back. I just knew. And I looked at my husband and I said, this is my year. This is the year that God wants to use us to share our story and to bring awareness to the importance of foster care and to advocate for all these kiddos in the system. I just knew it, Abby, with every ounce of my being, everything in my body told me, this is the year you need to do this. And so my husband's like, yep, whatever you need to do. So I became Mrs. Central States 2020 last year and went back, competed at nationals again. This year it was in Kingsport, Tennessee. And I won. And so now here I am, Mrs. International 2020. It's like you were born to do this. Honestly, who wants to prepare and then you win? I'd be like, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Sometimes, though, the best thing you got to do is just wing it. I'm all about just winging it sometimes. Totally. Yes. And, you know, the system is so focused on platform and the work that you're doing in your community. And so for me, that part was very natural. You know, I mean, maybe the evening gown part and the fitness wear part weren't my favorite pieces at that time. But for me, I mean, 50% of our score is based off of the work that we're doing in our community in our interview with the judges. And for me, that is where I'm at home. That was, I mean, my platforms that I, that I represent, I live. This is my hobby. These are truly platforms that I live and breathe day in and day out. And so that part came just very natural for me. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely love that. And I want to talk about more um, about that stigma around pageants that you were just mentioning. I know a lot of people think, oh, these girls are just doing it because they're pretty and they want the crown. And I have one of my, my closest friends to me is in pageants and she does it mainly, like you said, to support her, her platform. Hers is all about mental illness and bringing awareness to mental illness. It's not, um, it's not what people think. Uh, so that's what she uses her platform for. And she even says, just like you, that it's, it's not about the crown. Like the crown is great. And you're like, oh my gosh, look at what I have here. Right. Behind you. But that's, that's not what it's used for. And, um, talk a little bit more about that. Uh, how does, how does that pageant world kind of work? Why do you think there is such a stigma around it? Well, I mean, I think for a variety of different reasons, right? Um, I think we can get that perception that all we're into is the glam and the looks and the surface stuff, right? And yes, there is some of that. I mean, you have the evening gown and you have the fitness wear, so you need to work out. And I mean, there is an element of the superficial, the outer appearance, but that's for all of us. I mean, we all represent a brand and it's all in what we want to portray to the world around us. I mean, I could have showed up today in my yoga pants that I had on 10 minutes ago, right? right. You could <laughs> have showed up in the fitness wear. <laughs> right. Um, but it's just all a matter of what is that brand that you want to create for yourself? What is that perception that you want? And so, I mean, whether it's pageants or you go to work, I mean, it's, it's a part of all of our lives, right? But I think there's just so much of that negative attention that's put on that aspect of pageants. Um, But, you know, again, I think we just have to overcome that misconception that it's not all about the looks, that these women and these young ladies, we are educated, we are smart, we are talented, we are gifted, and most importantly, we are passionate. And especially in international, we focus so much of our energy on our platforms and the work that we're doing to make a difference and to create change in the world while we have the opportunity to do so. And that's the piece that we need to be focusing on and try to get past that. Um, you know, I think too, you probably get your mean girl perception that there are some of, you know, that's 
some of that drama and that tearing each other down. But that's also why I wanted to do this is because my business is all about building women up, building girls up, right? And showing that I can celebrate you and it in no way, shape or form takes away from who I am and what I have to offer. We're all on our own journeys and we're going to accomplish more if we can get behind one another and support one another and empower one another than if we're tearing each other down. And so I really wanted to lead by example and say, look, if women like me are competing in pageants and you know my character and who I am, then maybe you should do this too. Because honestly, international, granted, it's the only system I've ever competed in. And it's the only system I will ever compete in. But um, we truly are a group of women that support one another. And we want to see one another do good, you know, um, oh, do good. It's right behind you over your shoulder. Do good. Um, we, and we truly do. We, you know, yes, you always get your handful that um, maybe have more negativity than others. But in general, we are women that lift one another and support one another and work and collaborate together for the greater good. So I absolutely love that because that's a lot of my, um, I would say we have very similar morals or key values when it comes to supporting other women, because like you were just comparing, um, you know, how you perceive yourself in a pageant to how you perceive yourself at work is very similar. You want to put on a good front. Right. I think you can take that into your everyday life too. Like that, that lesson of supporting others and cheering them on, even when you don't get necessarily that win or that title or what you thought you wanted and continuing to support them. You can do that in your everyday life as well. So it's not just here, look at me in my pretty dress. It is definitely a learning process as well. Cause you know, some women might have to learn to support others throughout this journey too. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think it goes back, Abby, to understanding that we are all on our own journey and that journey is going to look different for each of us. The opportunities within those journeys are going to be different for each of us. And too many times we get stuck on this idea that I wanted that opportunity that you had, right? I thought it was maybe my time or that was meant for me. And just understanding that There is no timeline to life. There's no cookie cutter to what life looks like. We are all on our own journey. We're all going to have our own opportunities. And it's being able to embrace those opportunities when they come to us and supporting others and their opportunities. You know, there were two years that I went to nationals and I didn't win. Did I want to? Of course I did. But looking back now, there's a reason. God had a reason why I didn't win those two times. And it was because I was meant this year. Um, through this experience and through this platform. And I'm just at a better place now to be able to represent and do this job than had I won four or five years ago. So I absolutely love it. And before we um, talk about your platform and your story behind that, which is super cool, I'm so excited to discuss it. I do want to like, let you have your moment to gloat because I would be, how amazing was it to see your face in Times Square? Yeah. (laughs) On a billboard. Yeah, you know, okay. So it was such kind of a bummer because we never actually got to see it live in person. I know. (laughs) We went there and we waited around for a while. Um, and my husband had never been to New York before. And so I felt bad kind of making him sit in Times Square with me waiting for this moment. And so 
it was still cool though to be there to see the billboard that it was going to be on to take my picture um, to share in that moment with him because this system is about the spouse you know as the missus category and he truly is my team none of this would be possible without him and so being able to share even just in that moment together was pretty pretty cool but um we sat for a few hours and then when it didn't show up i was like okay i'm not gonna make you sit here anymore so we went and did some sightseeing but um they took a picture of it when it was actually in Times Square. And I think it's, it's just, it's a hard feeling to explain. You know, I can't right. say that I ever imagined that I would be in Times Square. And it was not only in Times Square, but it was in Las Vegas on the strip. Oh also, I mean, you know, COVID, it's the year of COVID. So how many people were actually on the strip and saw it? Who right. knows? But to know that it was actually there is pretty cool. Oh, so. that is so, I, I think that is just so awesome. I would probably have like <laughs> been bawling my eyes out all day. Like I'm on a billboard in Times Square. Like yeah, It was pretty cool. Yes. That's so cool. But let's talk about the really important stuff. Be a foster, your organization, your platform. Tell us that backstory about how you really, um, kind of poured your heart and soul into foster care? Yeah. So long story short, um, my <laughs> husband and I are impacted by infertility and it was our journey through infertility, then adoption that then led us to foster care. So really, you know, my husband and I, while we were going through our journey with infertility, prayed a lot um, to God. I mean, we are faith-based people. We rely heavily on God for guidance in our lives and we trust in his plan, but we prayed a lot to help us conceive a child. Right. And one day in prayer, uh, it hit me like a brick wall. God just placed on my heart. He's like, Ashley, do you want to be pregnant or do you want to be parents? And it was in that moment. I was like, duh, what's my ultimate goal here? You know? Yes. As a woman, would I love to know what it's like to experience pregnancy and carrying your child? Of course I would. Um, but it doesn't bother me anymore like it used to, because I see God's work in our lives and his greater plan for all of this. But it was in that moment. Do you want to be pregnant or do you want to be parents that, yeah, I want to be a parent. And Andrew had the same goal. We want to be parents. And so in that moment, our prayers started to change from do you want to like, you know, to help us conceive a child to help us become parents? Like, that's what we want. Just help us become parents. If that's through conceiving a child, great. If it's through adoption, great. If it's through foster care, great. In whatever way you see fit, just help us become parents. And it was about a month later that we found out that our son Micah was, um, his plan was being changed to adoption. So it's, it's really crazy when you, you see God's work in everything about our lives. Um, but so we went through the journey of adopting Micah. Uh, we got Micah when he was 16 months old. He was placed oh. into our home and he's actually related to my husband. So we knew of Micah since he was a baby. Um, and then, so that was December of 2017. Micah was placed with us and then we finalized everything July of 2018. While we were going through that process of adopting Micah, we had to go through a training called Pride. And it was in that training that foster care was really placed on our hearts. Um, I'm not a stranger to foster care and adoption. Uh, my grandparents actually did foster care and adopted. So it's a part of my family. It was newer to Andrew. So when we went into Pride, our goal was not to do foster care. Our goal was to go through what we needed to get done to adopt Micah, right? So I was a little nervous when that day God placed on my heart that I was supposed to do foster care. So I was kind of nervous to tell Andrew. So we were sitting in the car 
And um, I was like, okay, how do I say this? So finally, I just said, Andrew, I got to tell you something. God placed on my heart that we are supposed to do foster care. And he looked at me, paused for a second. He's like, yeah, I know. I felt it too. And so <laughs> I was like, oh, thank gosh. Right. Um, but so it was in that moment that we, we knew. I mean, our eyes were opened to the need for foster families in our community to what these children are going through um, and as a way to support birth families when possible. So we knew, though, we need to get Micah in our home before we pursued that. So Micah was with us for about a year um, in our home, and then we became a licensed foster family in December of 18 and got our first long-term placement in February of 19. And those kiddos are still with us today. So it's been a year and a half and they are still with us. Um, but it was through that journey, like I said, with just infertility, adoption, foster care, that Andrew and I were called to launch the Be a Foster movement. So, Wow. And I kind of want to, if you could maybe break it down, I bet it's a lot, but for those that don't know how foster care works, maybe um, they, they're hearing this and they're having those same struggles and you know, maybe they, they want to dive a little bit more into foster care. How does it work? It's not like you know, these kids just come to your house and then they leave and then they come to your house right. and leave. Like, well, how does this, how does it kind of work? Yes. So foster care is, it's a unique uh, thing, right? <laughs> um, and it's different in every state. It can be different in every county. It can be different from agencies that you're working with. But for example, you become a licensed foster family. So we worked through county social services here in Grand Forks County to become a licensed foster family. There's also PATH, Nexus PATH, which is more trauma-focused foster care. So they deal with children that have an ex a lot of trauma um, compared to maybe county kids. That doesn't mean that kiddos in county foster care don't have trauma. Every single one of the children that we have cared for has experienced some type of trauma, but it's usually just that higher level of trauma. There's a little bit more care required. So you become licensed in one of those areas. And then from there, you can start welcoming children into your home. So children are removed from their home for a variety of different reasons. The most common, of course, that we see is abuse and neglect. We knew, especially with the onset of COVID, that this was going to be something that we are just going to be hit with at some point. Uh, foster care numbers dropped for a while, but now with COVID, with the social distancing, with the quarantine, we're seeing a lot of abuse and neglect, uh, unfortunately. And as children are now getting back into school and things are kind of going back to that quote unquote normal where caseworkers can get in homes again and have in-home visits and therapists and all of these people, we are now seeing the increase in reports and children that are making their way into the system. And again, the two most common reasons are abuse and neglect. So a child is removed from their home um, by, you know, county social services, somebody that has identified that the children need to be removed. They are then, and again, every situation is going to be different. So I just want to disclaim that. But then typically they're put into just like um, an emergency foster family for a night or two until they can identify a foster family that will take them in more long term. So that's what happened in our cases is the children were in emergency. They then came to our home. And then from there, usually the state has so many days. Uh, the children are in their custody for so many days before you like go to court to determine what's the long term. Are they going to go back home? Or are they going to stay in foster care? And that birth family is maybe going to work steps to reunify with their child. 
So every child is with you for a different reason. They've experienced different things coming into your home. So you just never know what you're going to be dealing with. Um, They're with you for different amounts of time. Some might be with you for a month. Some might be with you for three years. Uh, We have children that that have been in the system for five years. So every situation is just a little bit different. I should say that the ultimate goal with foster care is reunification. That is the ultimate goal. We want to reunify a foster child with their family. That is our ultimate goal. Now, are there opportunities where that doesn't happen, right? There are times, there's situations, circumstances where that doesn't happen. And then there are opportunities for those children to be adopted into their forever homes. Yes, there are. But if you are somebody that's looking into going into foster care, and your whole goal is to adopt, you're going into it for the wrong reasons, because your goal should be to provide care for a child while supporting a birth family and trying to reunify them. If that's not the case, that's not the case. It doesn't always happen. But your goal is reunification. And then from there, um, you can adopt if that option is there. It doesn't mean that those children that are in your home that you will adopt them. You know, sometimes people will foster them and then they move on to another home and they adopt them. So every situation is so different, Abby. So different. And throughout... be a foster and throughout your movement and throughout learning more and more about it. Uh, what have you kind of learned about foster care that you might not have known of before you got into this? Um, is there more kids than you ever thought there was? Uh, kind of share a little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, the be a foster movement, I'll back up, you know, the whole mission of this movement is to really create conversation and understanding around the undeniable impacts of foster care and the increasing need for loving foster families. So worldwide, there's about 2.7 million children in foster care. In the United States, there's about 437,000, give or take. Um, And here in North Dakota, where we are, there's about 1600. So of those, let's take that on a national scale of those 437,000 children, we only have about 200,000 licensed foster homes. So half of what we really need. And 30 to 60% of those drop out each year for various reasons. A lot of it is burnout from families, right? That emotional burnout. Um, So we're constantly in this search for new foster families. And we're constantly trying to retain those good foster families that we have. And I would say that that was probably, you know, one of the biggest things for us is we knew that the need you know, we knew that we knew the numbers were great for foster children, but the need for families was just mind boggling to us. Um, you know, in one county alone, we saw 25 kids in nine days come in uh, just recently. And our foster homes are being just bombarded right now. I mean, like we are overflowing right now. And of course, we are happy and willing to welcome these children into our home and to care for them. But we need more families to relieve some of that burden and to also allow, you know, some of these children to be single placements and not to be with multiple placements in one home, but to be that single focus maybe in one home. So I would say that just the, the extreme need that we need for foster families. And then number two, I would say the unexpected thing for us is, it's a really lonely journey because um, you can't talk about a lot of the details with people. There's a lot of confidentiality things that you can't disclose. And so that part was hard. Um, you know, 
your friends and your family don't always understand what you're going through. And especially with the children that are brought into our care, again, most of them have dealt with some type of trauma. And that's a whole added element to parenting a child, dealing with that and trying to help them through that. So that was something that I don't know that anything can really prepare you for, you know, I mean, you can go through the training, but it's hard. So finding those support systems, those fellow foster families, those, you know, members in the foster community that, that get it, unfortunately, right. But fortunately they get what you're going through has been so incredibly important and valuable for our journey. So. Oh yeah. Such great work though. I mean, I can't imagine, um, how powerful this must be to have those kids to share their stories with you and to help kind of guide them uh, throughout their life and just be a sliver of that. What is that kind of like too? Yeah. You know, and I think that's one thing that we always worry about is, am I really making a difference? You know, sometimes these kids might only be with you for a month. Some of them are maybe a year, but even that year, let's say, or three years, that's such a small amount of time in the big scope of their life. And I think it's easy for us to question, am I truly making a difference? Am I really making an impact in this child's life? Of course you are, Um, because you are giving them what they need at this stage in their life that's going to set them up for that next stage. And if they weren't in your care, they wouldn't be receiving that possibly, right? And so we need to remember that. We might not always know the end outcome and, you know, what happens to some of these children. Some we do. I know foster families that keep in touch with their their foster children and now they're married and have kids of their own, which is great. But we don't always see that end journey, but we need to just trust that the work that we are doing right now here in this moment, that is making a difference in the ultimate um, outcome. And I can just say these children, every single one of these children has made a greater impact in my life and in our lives um, than we've probably made in theirs, honestly. So it's, It's an incredible journey. And so for those that are maybe listening to this and they're like, Ooh, maybe I, I kind of want to, maybe I want to be a foster parent, but they're kind of intimidated by it. Uh, they might not know a whole lot. What is your one piece of advice for those that are maybe weighing, uh, swaying on that fence of maybe I should be a foster parent. Maybe I I shouldn't be, you know what, just reach out and start gathering the information. Nothing is committing you to anything just by asking questions and gathering the information. From there, you can discern if this is right for your family or right for you at this time. And you know what? You might find out like we did, we wanted to do it, but at that particular moment, it just wasn't a good time or the the right time. Um, And I hate to say that because we can't tell these children in foster care, this isn't a good time, you know, like, so I hate to say it that way. But at the same time, you have to do it when it's right for you and your family. Because if you if you don't, you're not going to be adequately serving the needs of the children that are coming into your home. So gather the information discern if it's right for you right now or not. Like I said, for us, we waited a little bit. And when we were ready, we pursued it. Um, but go into it again with the, for the right reasons. Don't go into it with the goal of adopting. Go into it with the goal of providing care and a loving, nurturing, safe environment for a child while you try to reunify them with the family. And then from there, whatever that journey is, the journey is. Um, but gather the information. 
nothing is stopping, like nothing's committing you to doing it. Just gather the information. And I think now more than ever, so many of us who are at home quarantined or, you know, (laughs) we have the time now more than ever, we have the time to gather the information, reach out to, if you know of a foster family in your community, call and talk to them and ask them what their experience has been. With that being said, take everything with a grain of salt because my foster journey isn't going to be your foster journey and it's not going to be your foster journey, right? Every journey is going to be different. So keep an open mind when you gather the information um, and then just decide if this is something that's right for you or not. Oh, such a great discussion today. But Ashley, before we go, how can people get in touch with you if they maybe want to, you know, get involved in the pageant world? And how can people contact you if they want to learn more and get more connected with Be a Foster? Absolutely. So, of course, for the pageant world, uh, <laughs> they can email me at Mrs. INTL2020 at gmail.com. So Mrs. International 2020.com uh, at gmail.com. And then for the foster stuff, we have beafoster.org. And on there, we have the different ways that we are trying to create that conversation around the foster community. So they can um, listen to our podcast that we have. Uh, we've got different blog series. We've got different conversations like this that we have. So if they just reach out to beafoster.org, they can gather a whole lot more information that way too. Uh, Perfect. And of course, we'll have that all in the show notes so people can access that easy. But Ashley Ray, Mrs. International 2020, thank you so much for joining us today. Abby, thanks for the opportunity. Documenting donor information is the most important thing you can do as a fundraiser, as a nonprofit organization. And hey, if you don't know where to start and try to figure out where and what system to get, go to DonorDoc.com. DonorDoc is the CRM system, the donor database system. It has wonderful reporting. It has easy-to-use dashboards. Frankly, it's the greatest thing that you will have at your disposal as a fundraising organization. Go to DonorDoc.com. There are countless videos, books, articles, and folks out there with suggestions on how to raise more money. Of course, that's a major problem. Too much information. Do Good University has an online library of lectures, courses, and trainings that concentrate on one thing, making fundraising simple. Come join other like-minded do-gooders who are looking to unclutter their fundraising life. Enroll at Do Good University today at dogoodbetterconsulting.com.